You're listening to Gruesome and Unnatural, a true crime podcast. Welcome back to another, another episode, episode of Gruesome and Unnatural. <laughs> you totally fucking threw me off. <laughs> God damn it. Let's keep that. All right. Well, hello, everyone. <laughs> what up? Yes. Hello, my gruesome addicts. Welcome back to another episode. Eric just totally threw me off. <laughs> I'm Shelly, by just the way. Trying to take over the show. <laughs> Seriously. And you guys all know me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Starting to really love true crime, aren't you? No, I hate it. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about the Manson family murders. As Eric and I just recently went on a tour with Graveline Tours in Who's uh, Manson, Los Angeles. Oh, shut up! <laughs> yeah, if you guys don't know this, then fucking lift up that rock and leave that shit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because they live under a rock. Oh my god! So the. <laughs> Uh, Graveline Tours is actually located in Hollywood, California, and it was like a three and a half hour tour that we did and like a funeral limo and... Three hours. Oh my God. <laughs> you think of that. Uh, yeah, so we got to take this, this tour and like a funeral limo thing and uh, we had a, an amazing hostess named Blaze. She was so informative and no, she's like a mansion, ma- mansion, Manson specialist. Like she knew everything yeah. about this guy and just the whole story and it's wild it was so much fun so we got to go to like uh the la bianca house we went to uh cielo cielo drive cielo drive yeah we did that we went to the munch box in chatsworth we ate a hot dog there and there's like a little inscription saying that manson was here she said that they did like a handwriting analysis kind of thing on it but they weren't like completely sure it was his but they kind of think it was him that did it but i thought that was cool where else did he go Spawn Ranch. Oh, yeah. What was supposed to be Spawn Ranch? I mean, it is I, still I mean, Spawn Ranch. It's it just is, yeah. overgrown as shit. Like. Yeah, yeah. And I guess the whole thing burnt down in the 70s, I believe. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it was really fun if you're in the LA area or just, I mean, some girl was from Texas on there. Yeah, um, it's really know. fun to take a tour and see where people are murdered at. Mm-hmm. People like me like to Finally went to addresses. <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Shelly was just in awe the whole time. I was. It was like taking her to Disneyland. It was so interesting. You're sick. You're fucking sick. <laughs> it was so interesting, though. And really eerie. When we went to Cielo Drive, um, the house was like kind of on a hill. So I guess she was explaining that when the murders were happening, like, and the screams, you know, when they were screaming, nobody could tell where it was coming from because it was like echoing off this hill. I think that was like the most eerious thing, like so creepy to me yep. when she yep. told us that. But. Oh, she also took us to Whiskey A Go-Go, where he would kick it at. And the Candy Cat. Uh, yeah. The strip club that yep. I think Sadie, or they call her Sexy Sadie. That's Susan Atkins. I think it was her. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he would go eat a hot dog at Munchbox and then go pick her up after she was done stripping. Shit. Like, <laughs> Weird. I know. Anyways, let's get into, we're going to, I don't know, you have your whole side of it. I have the whole like murder it's side of it. Side. Well, it's not side. It's just a side. True, 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 true. I don't know what I believe in all this. Yeah, but... Let's just get into it. Let's start it. Okay. Charles Millis Maddox, born November 12th, 1934. I did come across the funeral pamphlet for Charles Manson, and it stated his birthday was November 11th. But either way, it was in November. 
He was born to his 15-year-old mother, Ada Kathleen Maddox, in Cincinnati, Ohio. A lot of resources call her Kathleen, so that's how I'm just going to refer to her as. Charles' father, Walker Henderson Scott Sr., was known to work in local mills, as well as having a local reputation as being a con artist. They were both originally from Kentucky, although once he had found out that Kathleen was pregnant, he told her he had to go away on business. But after several months, he never returned. So Charlie, I mean, you know, Charles Manson never really knew his father, his biological father. The two were not together when Charles was born. Kathleen had actually met and then married William Eugene Manson in August of 1934, so just three months prior to Charles being born. This is where the Manson name comes from, obviously, from this I guess a stepfather. Yeah. While Kathleen and William were married, she would go on drinking sprees with her brother, Luther Maddox, and a lot of the time she would leave Charles with random babysitters. William ended up filing for divorce from Kathleen due to, quote, gross neglect of duty, unquote. And on April 30th, 1937, they were officially divorced. Although Charles kept the Manson last name despite the divorce, when Charles was only three months away from turning five years old, his mother and uncle were arrested for assault and battery and were sentenced five to ten years in prison. A cool name for him would have been Kentucky Chucky. Oh, my God. That would have been a great name. <laughs> I love that. Charles was placed with his aunt and uncle in McMechan, West Virginia. It was at age nine where he committed his first, I guess, first crime, which was him setting a school on fire. I found a small clip of him actually talking about like his mother and his uncle. Um, his mother actually did get paroled in 1942. So here's like a little clip of him talking about it. I am a street child. I'm a runaway little girl at 15 years old out of Kentucky named Kathleen Maddox. I didn't have a husband. My husband's name was Scott. And he married somebody else and went down the road and she went to Cincinnati and had a guy named Charlie Manson. My mother went to prison for five years for strong arm robbery. Her brother had to deal a trick in off the street and put the yoke on him to get some money to eat. And she went to prison and I used to visit her in the prison visiting room. Out of the Kentucky mountains when uh, my uncle said, we ain't surrendered, we're still rebels. And we'll be rebels until the end of time. Because I ain't accepting no Yankee school. He said, don't go to those schools, boy. So when I was nine years old, I set the school on fire. And I went to reform school. So after, you know, setting it on fire, living with his aunt and uncle, he just went through so many years of just, like, robbing. And just, like, he, like, robbed a grocery store. A lot of, like, petty theft. He was sent to Boys Town, which is a nonprofit organization based in Boys Town, Nebraska. And it's dedicated to caring for children and families. And yeah, he just did a lot of crimes. And um, he actually, there was, uh, he was, you know, after more robberies and theft, he was sent to National Training School for Boys, where they gave him an aptitude test, which determined that he was illiterate, but had an IQ of 109, which can be considered above average. And his caseworker also stated that he was aggressively antisocial. I thought that was interesting. That's a, some weird words together. Aggressively. Aggre yeah, <laughs> like, isn't that? Yeah. yeah. Super crazy. Sometime around 1967, he began using the alias Charles Willis Manson. Before the end of summer, Manson and some of the women began traveling in an old school bus they had adapted, putting colored rugs and pillows in place of many of the seats that they had removed. They eventually settled in the Los Angeles area of Topanga Canyon, Malibu, and Venice along the coast. 
Mary became pregnant by Manson on April 15th, 1968. She gave birth to her, to their son, uh, whom they named Valentine Michael, in a condemned house where they were living in Topanga Canyon. Manson family member Paul Watkins testified, you know, after all this happened, that Manson would encourage group LSD trips and to t- and like he would take lower doses himself to quote keep his wits about him unquote. This is what Paul is stating. So he would like give everyone LSD, but he like wouldn't take as much or not at all, you know, just so he could like maybe quote unquote control or like his family or whatever maybe. Oh yeah, and then uh, and then he go and then you know after all this stuff, and then he kind of moves to San Francisco, kind of gets a little following there, and then he I believe moves back to or um, not California, moves back to like L.A. area, and he stays like a small stay with Dennis Wilson uh, of the Beach Boys until eventually some shit happened and they got kicked out of his house, like they kicked him out, and then this is when they went to Spawn Ranch. Um, in case you don't know what Spawn Ranch is, it's a television and movie set for Western movies. I forget what movie she said. The Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger. That's what she said. Yeah. That's what they, yeah, they'd film there and stuff like that. Um, so while living there, it was actually George Spawn's ranch. Hence the name Spawn Ranch. Um, so he, the family members, the girls of the family, uh, they did chores around the ranch. And occasionally they had sex on Manson's order with the nearly blind 80-year-old owner, George Spawn. Is that crazy? So he was a pimp. Mm-hmm. So this was all in exchange to allow Manson and, you know, his family members to stay at this ranch for free. So let's get into the murders, shall we? So one of the murders was 34-year-old Gary Allen Hinman, who was a music teacher and graduate student at UCLA. At some point in the late 1960s, he befriended members of the Manson family, allowing some to occasionally stay at his home. According to family member Susan Atkins, Manson believed Gary was wealthy. He sent family members Bobby Boussoulet, Mary Brunner, and Susan Atkins um, to Gary's home on July 25th, 1969 to convince him to join the family and turn over the assets Manson thought Gary had inherited. The three held Gary hostage for two days as he denied having any money. During this time, Manson arrived with a sword and slashed his face and his ear. After that, Bobby stabbed Gary to death, allegedly on Manson's instruction. Before leaving the Topanga Canyon residence, Bobby or one of the women used Gary's blood to write, quote, political piggy on the wall and to draw a black panther, or to draw a panther paw, a black panther symbol. Because I believe he was really fucking racist. And trying to set up uh, another group. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Create this. I don't know. We'll get into that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. According to Manson and Bobby, Bobby said he went to Gary's to recover money paid to Gary for mescaline provided to straight Satans that had supposedly been bad. And that's a biker gang, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I don't know them, but I don't even know how to ride a motorcycle. (laughs) Bobby added that Mary and Susan, unaware of his intent, went along to visit Gary. Susan, in her 1977 autobiography, wrote that Manson directed Bobby, Mary, and her to go to Gary's to get the supposed inheritance of $21,000. She said that two days earlier, Manson had told her privately that if she wanted to do something important, he, she could kill Gary and get his money. But Bobby was arrested on August 6, 1969, after he was caught driving Gary's car, and police found the murder weapon in the tire well. <laughs> You're literally driving the guy's car and have the murder weapon in the fucking car somewhere. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Fucking idiot. So... Um, prior to 
Sharon Tate and the other people that I'll start talking about um, before their murders, uh, Manson actually came across Sharon Tate and her husband. So on March 23rd, 1969, Manson entered the grounds of 10050 Cielo Drive, which he had known as Melcher's residence. He was not invited. As he approaches the main house, Manson was met by Sharak Hadami, an Iranian photographer who had befriended film director uh, Roman Polinsky. And because that was that's uh, Sharon Tate's husband um, during the making of the documentary Mia and Roman. And he also made Rosemary's Baby, right? Um, Roman Polinsky. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sharon Tate's husband. Yeah. Yes. This photographer was there to take pictures of Tate before she departed to uh, Rome the following day. Seeing Manson approach, this photographer had gone onto the front porch to ask him what he wanted. Manson said that he was looking for Melcher, whose name this photographer did not recognize. Uh, he told him the place was actually the Polinsky residence and then advised him to try the path to the guest house behind the main house. Sharon appeared behind this photographer in the house's front door and asked him who was calling. This photographer and Sharon maintained their positions while Manson went back to the guest house without a word, returned to the front a minute or two later, and left. So he was being a little creepy, right? Yeah. Yeah. That evening, Manson returned to the property and again went to the guest house. He entered the enclosed porch and spoke with Altabelli, the owner, who had just come out of the shower. Manson asked for Melcher, but Altabelli felt that Manson was actually looking for him. It was later discovered that Manson had apparently been to the property on earlier occasions after Melcher left. So he just keeps going back to this house. I think maybe he was trying to like scope it out or something, saying who lives there. But yeah, very weird. So on the night of August 8th, 1969, Tex Watson took Susan Adkins, Linda Kasabian, and Patricia Krenwinkel to 10050 Cielo Drive in Benedict Canyon, Los Angeles, California. <laughs> Tex later claimed that Manson had instructed him to go to the house and, quote, totally destroy, unquote, everyone in it and do it quote, as gruesome as you can. Manson told the women to do as Tex instructed them. The occupants of the house at Cielo Drive that evening were 26-year-old movie actress Sharon Tate, who was eight and a half months pregnant, and wife of film director, like I had said, Roman Polinsky. Her friend and former lover, 35-year-old uh, Jay Sebring, a noted celebrity hairstylist, Polinsky's friend, 32-year-old Wolszek Frykowski, and his 25-year-old girlfriend, Abigail Folger, who was actually the heiress to the Folger uh, coffee fortune. Oh, wow. And daughter of Peter Folger. Rich kicking it with the rich. Mm -hmm. <laughs> also present on the property was 19-year-old uh, William Gerritsen, the caretaker, and his friend, 18-year-old Stephen Earl Parent. Polinsky was in Europe working on a film. Music... Um, Music producer Quincy Jones was a friend of Jay's Damn. who had planned to actually join him that evening, but he didn't oh, end up going. Shit. Isn't that crazy? I totally forgot about that. Tex and three women arrived at Cielo Drive just past midnight on August 9th, 1969. Tex climbed a telephone pole near the entrance gate and cut the phone line to the house. The group backed their car to the bottom of the hill that led to the estate and walked back up to the house. They thought that the gate might be electrified or equipped with like some alarm. So they climbed like a brushy, like in bank on the like right side of the gate to get to the house. Headlights approached them from within the property and Tex ordered the women to lie in the bushes. He stepped out and ordered the approaching driver to halt. Stephen Parent, who had been visiting the property's caretaker, William Gerritsen, who lived in the guest house. Tex leveled a 
22 caliber revolver at Stephen, who begged him not to hurt him, claiming that he would not say anything. Tex lunged at him with a knife, giving him a defensive slash wound on his palm and severed tendons and tore the boy's watch off his wrist. Then Tex shot him four times in the chest, abdomen killing him in the front seat of his white 1965 AMC Ambassador Coupe. I just showed you a picture of this week. He looks yeah. so sweet. It just broke my heart when I saw that. Like, so horrifying. Tex ordered the women to help push the car back up the driveway, or, you know, push it up the driveway, sorry. Tex next, um, he cut the screen of the window, then told Linda to wa keep watch down the gate. She walked over to Steven's car and waited. Tex removed the screen, entered through the window, and let Susan and Patricia in through the front door. He whispered to Susan, and which awoke uh, Wolschek, who was sleeping on the living room couch. Tex kicked him in the head and then asked him who he, and then, you know, Wolschek was like, who are you? Like, what are you doing here? And Tex replied, quote, I'm the devil, and I'm here to do the devil's business, unquote. On Texas' direction, Susan found the house's three other occupants with uh, Patricia's help and forced them to the living room. Tex began to tie Sharon and Jay together by their necks with a long nylon rope, which had, uh, he had actually brought in, then slung it over one of the living room ceiling beams. Jay protested the murderer's rough treatment of the pregnant Sharon, so Tex shot him. <laughs> Abigail was taken momentarily back to her bedroom for her purse, where she gave them $70. <laughs> text and stabbed Jay seven times. Wolschek's hands had been bound with a towel, but he freed himself and began struggling with Susan, who stabbed at his legs with a knife. He fought his way out of the front door and onto the porch, but Tex caught up with him, struck him over the head with a, the gun multiple times, stabbed him, stabbed him repeatedly, and shot him twice. Linda had heard like horrifying sounds and moved toward the house from her position in the driveway, because remember, she was out in the driveway. She told Susan that someone was coming in an attempt to stop the murders, Inside the house, Abigail escaped from Patricia and fled out a bedroom window um, to the pool area. Patricia pursued her and caught her on the front lawn where she stabbed her and tackled her, or tackled her to the ground and stabbed her. Texton helped her, helped kill her. Her assailant stabbed her a total of 28 times. Jesus. Uh, Wolfsheck struggled across the lawn, but Tex continued to stab him and killed him as well. He suffered 51 stab wounds and had also been struck 13 times in the head with the butt of Texas gun, which bent the barrel and broke off one side of the gun's grip, which was Damn. covered at the scene. Isn't that crazy? Like, this fool was, like, angry. In the house, Sharon pleaded to be allowed to live long enough to give birth and offered herself as a hostage in an attempt to save the life of her unborn child. But both Susan and Tex stabbed Sharon 16 times, killing her. The coroner's inquest found that Sharon was still alive when she was hanged by the nylon rope. And although um, the cause of her death was determined as a massive hemorrhage, while in Jay's murder, it was found that he was hanged lifeless. So he was already dead, but Sharon was like, still, ah, God, it's just terrifying. According to Jay, Manson had told the women to, quote, leave a sign, something witchy, unquote. So Susan wrote pig on the front door in Sharon's blood. Susan claims that she did this to copycat the murder scene of Gary Hinman or to get Manson family members Bobby Boussoulet out of jail, who was in custody for the murder. Bobby had wrote political piggy in Gary's blood on his wall after stabbing him to death. Now we get to the LaBianca murders. The four murders, Tex, Susan, Linda, and Patricia, plus Manson, um, Leslie Van Houten, and Clem Krogan. Went for a drive uh, the following night. Manson was allegedly displeased with the previous night's murder, so he told Linda to drive to a house at 3301 Waverly Drive in Los Feliz, section of um, Los Angeles. 
located next door to a home where Manson and family members had attended a party the previous year. Uh, it actually belonged to 44-year-old supermarket executive Leno LaBianca and his 43-year-old wife, Rosemary LaBianca, co-owner of a dress shop. According to Susan and Linda, Manson disappeared up the driveway and returned to say that he had tied up the house's occupants. Then Tex, Patricia, and Leslie went in. Tex claims in his autobiography that Manson went up alone, then returned to take him up to the house with him. Manson pointed out a sleeping man through a window, and the two entered through the unlocked back door. Tex claims Manson roused the sleeping Leno LaBianca from the couch at gunpoint and had Tex bind his hands with a leather thong. <laughs> I don't know what that's got to be something I'm not thinking of. <laughs> Never heard of that. It was, it was just like us the other night. Oh my God, stop. Oh, God. Rosemary was brought into the living room um, from the bedroom, and Tex covered the couple's head with pillowcases, with, which he um, bound in place with lamp cords. Manson left, and Patricia and Leslie entered the home. Tex had complained to Manson earlier of the inadequacy of the previous night's weapons. Tex sent the women from the kitchen to the bedroom where Rosemary LaBianca had been returned, while he went to the living room and began stabbing Leno LaBianca with a chrome-plated bayonet. The first thrust went into his throat. Tex heard a scuffle in the bedroom and went in there to discover Rosemary LaBianca keeping the women at bay by swinging the lamp tied to her neck. He stabbed her several times with the bayonet, then returned to the living room and resumed attacking Leno, whom he had stabbed a total of 12 times. He then carved the word war onto his, or, uh, yeah, into his abdomen. Damn. The one thing I thought was like wild about the, uh, the tour, too, is like we scanned a little QR code and like... It shows, like, everybody that was, like, murdered. Like, the, pic- the, the full-on picture. Like, I could see, like, um, Leno LaBianca, like, after he's passed away with the words war in his stomach. It was Damn. very eerie and creepy. Yeah. Was, yeah. Tex returned to the bedroom and found Patricia stabbing Rosemary with a knife from the kitchen. Leslie stabbed her approximately 16 times in the back and exposed buttocks. Leslie claimed at trial that Rosemary LaBianca was already dead during the stabbing. Evidence showed that many... Of the 41 stab wounds had in fact been inflicted post-mortem. Texton cleaned off the bayonet and showered while Patricia wrote Rise and Death to Pigs on the walls and Helter Skelter on the refrigerator door in all of the couple's blood. She gave Leno 14 puncture wounds with an ivory-handled two-tinned carving fork, which she like, just, uh, like, I think she just stabbed it in, like, his chest and just, like, left it there. Um, she also planted a steak knife in his throat. So yeah, that's the wild uh, story of the LaBianca's murder. Very brutal. These people yeah. are brutal. Um, I don't remember this one, but I came across this one. It's the Shia murder. 35-year-old Hollywood stuntman, Donald Jerome Shia, but he went by Shorty, so I'm just going to call him Shorty, uh, was murdered on August 26, 1969, more than two weeks after the Tate-LaBianca murders. When Manson told Shorty... Bruce Davis, Tex Watson, and Steve Krogan to go on a ride to a nearby car parts yards on Spawn Ranch. According to Bruce, he sat in the back seat with Steve, who then hit Shorty with a pipe wrench, and Tex stabbed him. They brought Shorty down a hill behind the ranch and stabbed and brutally tortured him, tortured him to death. Bruce Davis recalled at his parole hearing, quote, I was in the car when Steve Krogan hit Shorty with the pipe wrench. Charles Watson stabbed him. I was in the back seat with... Steve. They took Shorty out. They had to go down the hill to a place. I stayed in the car for quite a while, but what? Then I went down the hill later on, and that's when I cut Shorty on the shoulder with a knife after he was, well, I don't know. I don't know if he was dead or not. 
he didn't bleed when I cut him on the shoulder. When I showed up, you know, he was, he was incapacitated. I don't know if you asked if he was unconscious. I don't know. He may or may not have been. He didn't seem unconscious. He wasn't moving or saying anything. And it started off Manson handing me a machete as if I was supposed to. I mean, I know what he wanted, but you know, I couldn't do that. And I, in fact, I did touch Shorty Shia with a machete on the back of his neck. Didn't break the skin. I mean, I just couldn't do it. And then I threw the knife and he handed me a bayonet and it, it just reached over. And I don't know which side it was on, but I cut him right about here on the shoulder, just with the tip of the blade. Sort of like saying, quote, are you satisfied, Charlie? Unquote. And I turned around and walked away. And I, I was sick for about two or three days. I mean, I couldn't even think about it. I, what I had done, unquote. I just thought that was, that was pretty crazy, just hearing him, you know, Charlie or Manson trying to, like, get him to, like, kill somebody or hurt somebody and, like, just shows his, his ways of controlling these people, I think. Yeah. Uh, in December 1977, Shorty's skeletal remains were discovered on a hillside near Santa Susana Road next to Spawn Ranch after Steve, one of those convicted, you know, of the murder, agreed to aid authorities in recovery of Shorty's body by drawing a map to its location. According to the autopsy report, his body suffered multiple stab and chopping wounds to the chest and blunt force trauma to the head. So, yeah, those were, um, I think I was also reading there was up to, because you had actually mentioned this too, there was up to 15 suspected other murders. Oh, crazy. Yeah. I mean, there could have been more or less, but uh, yeah. Wild. Um, do you want to talk about what you want to talk about before I get into like, you know, all the convictions and all that kind of stuff? Well, let's talk about the convention- convictions first and then we'll get into other things about it all. Okay. So Susan Atkins, um, known within the Manson family as Sadie May or Sexy Sadie. Susan was convicted for her participation in eight of these killings, including the most notorious the Tate murders. She was sentenced to death, which was, um, which was subsequently commuted to life imprisonment with the California Supreme Court and validated all death sentences prior to issued prior to 1972. Susan was incarcerated until her death in 2009. At the time of her death, she was California's longest-serving female inmate. I thought that was crazy. But now that's been surpassed by uh, Leslie Van Hooten and Patricia Krenwinkel. Mm. Tex Watson, on October 12, 1971, Tex was convicted on seven counts of first-degree murder and one count of conspiracy to commit murder. One week later, the same jury took only two and a half hours to determine that he was sane. On October 21, 1971, he was sentenced to death. He arrived on California's death row on November 17th, 1971, but avoided execution when the California Supreme Court People versus Anderson decision resulted in the invalidation of all death sentences imposed in California prior to 1972. He was found guilty of the murders of seven people, Abigail Folger, Wolszczyk, Frykowski, Stephen Parent, Sharon Tate, Polinsky, uh, Jay Sebring, Leno LaBianca, and Rosemary LaBianca. Now, Leslie Van Houten. She was convicted and sentenced to death, but a 1972 California Supreme Court ruling found the death penalty unconstitutional, resulting in her sentence being commuted to life in prison. Her conviction was overturned in 1976, appellate court decision which granted her a retrial. Her second trial ended with a deadlock jury and a mistrial. At her third trial, 1978, she was convicted of two counts of murder and one count of conspiracy, sentenced to seven years to life in prison. But after spending 53 years in prison, that included two dozen parole hearings and parole rejections by two California governors, Leslie Van Houten was paroled in 2023. 
actually read she got like a master's degree and like all this stuff. But I guess she is still under like supervision for a couple of years, I believe. So that's pretty crazy that she got out. Stephen Krogan, the jury returned verdicts of life imprisonment for Manson and Bruce Davis, but death for Stephen. However, on December 23rd, 1971, Judge James Colt stated that, quote, Krogan was too stupid and too hopped up on drugs to decide any, anything on his own, unquote. And that it was really Manson, quote, who decided who lived or died, unquote. So um, Stephen's sentence was, uh, I guess, reduced to life in prison instead of death. Uh, I had mentioned Bruce Davis very quickly. He uh, was involved with the murder of Gary Hinman and Shorty. Uh, he is actually, you know, was convicted of everything, and he is currently in prison at San Quentin State Prison where he's serving his life sentence. Patricia Krenwinkel uh, arrived on California's death row on April 28, 1971. She received a death sentence for seven counts of first-degree murder um, for the deaths of Abigail, Wolfschick, Stephen, Sharon, Jay and uh, Leno and, and uh, Rosemary. She was also convicted of conspiracy to commit murder. The death sentence imposed on Krenwinkel was automatically commuted to life in prison after, like I was saying, California Supreme Court's People versus Anderson. You know, they just, yeah, the death penalty wasn't, you know, going to be there. So she just remains incarcerated at the California Institution for Women in the Chino District of Corona, California. And her next parole hearing will be this year on uh, November 17th, 2023. Linda Kasabian. Linda had been an accomplice to the murders and she, you know, was like, she didn't really prevent the murders from happening or calling the police afterwards. Um, but she was kind of like described as reluctant and extremely upset during events of both of these nights and even challenging Manson and that she was the only member of the group to actually express remorse and sympathy for the victims. So I think she's in jail but I could be wrong I didn't really I was really confused about that so Bobby Boussoulet on April 18th 1970 a Supreme Court jury in Los Angeles found the 22 year old Bobby guilty of first degree murder of Gary of Gary and he was sentenced to death the California governor Gavin Newsom denied Bobby's parole recommendation on April 26 2019 saying that he felt that Bobby's release could still pose a danger to society so he's still in prison and then there's Charles Manson. On January 1st, 2017, Manson was being held at Corcoran Prison when he was rushed to Mercy Hospital in downtown Bakersfield because he had gastrointestinal bleeding. A source told the LA Times that Manson was very ill. And then TMZ reported that his doctors considered him too weak for surgery that normally would be performed in cases such as his. He was returned to prison on January 6th, and the nature of his treatment was not disclosed. On November 15, 2007, an unauthorized source said that Manson had returned to a hospital in Bakersfield, but the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation did not confirm this in conformity with state and federal medical privacy laws. He died from cardiac arrest resulting from respiratory failure brought on by colon cancer at the hospital on November 19th. Um, his grandson, Jason Freeman, had Manson cremated on March 20th, 2018. Just a little fun fact, too, that I, this is the end of my talking. <laughs> Charles uh, Manson Jr., um, who I forgot to mention, because he's had, he didn't have, 
Yeah, I know there's two women that he actually had a child with, but there's like a picture uh, of like a bunch of kids at Spawn Ranch and a lot of them believe that a lot of those kids are his, you know, but it's not really confirmed, I guess. But one of his... Yeah, because he was like a cult leader, like how David Koresh was in Waco. Exactly. You know, he would take all the women for himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. 100%. So Charles, uh, Charles Manson Jr., his son, changed his name to Jay White but ended up killing himself on June 29th, 1993 on a desolate section of highway in Burlington, Colorado. I know. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't blame him for changing his name, right? Yeah. Yeah. Charles Manson Jr. or Jay White did have a son named Jason Freeman, who I just mentioned. And he said growing up, it was almost like forbidden to talk. Um, Cause Manson's one of his baby mamas, her name was uh, Rosalie. And it was, like, forbidden to ask her anything about Manson. Like, it was not allowed in the house almost, you know. Jason said he thinks his father purposely stayed away from him because he didn't want to tarnish his childhood. He also said, quote, he just couldn't let it go. He couldn't live it down. He, he couldn't live down who his father was, unquote. Which is the end of what I have to say. <laughs> so, yeah, I, just, uh, I can't imagine being his, like, son. Oh, my God, what was that movie we watched last night? Manson Family Manson, Vacation or something. Oh my god, you guys have to check this movie out. In the beginning, it was almost like, this is one guy and he's just like so obsessed with Manson and he like, he wants his brother to go along with him to like all the like all the places we pretty much saw, right? And yeah. we took that tour and it's just like, it, in the beginning, we're kind of saying, because he's so excited about it, his brother was like, what is wrong with you? And it's just like, I feel like that's like us sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but it has, it's a big twist at the end. I definitely recommend it. It was going to be. Yeah. It's not factual or anything to no. the story. No. Manson a little bit. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, a lot of it, but. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's all craziness. I know. It's wild. This text dude is just crazy. And, text you know. dude is crazy. Well, I, mean, I mean, look what Manson did to him. Yeah, for sure. You know, for Manson sure. was a fucking cult leader. Absolutely. Yeah. He thought he was Jesus. He would tell him he was Jesus, which oh, is right. so much like David Koresh as well. Oh, and he got right. all these people to follow him and believe who, that he was. And these people like followed him thinking of a better life. Like they were going to go off grid, which is everyone's dream. Off grid of the government, grow your own stuff, yeah. friendly to the environment. So it was appeasing to everyone to hear that. And that's the kind of life they wanted. Yeah, for sure. But yeah. little do they know he's like what you mentioned, giving them acid some LSD, LSD yeah. and him not taking it or taking very little amounts. And I saw in a video that he would pretend to be crucified while they're all on acid. Like he is Jesus. I do not remember that really. Yeah. That's trippy. So he would that. act that out and everyone on acid was tripping out and me like thinking that was real almost. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It was like he was doing his own experiment of MK Ultra. Mm-hmm. That's right. We so did the whole MK that. Ultra yeah. thing is like the whole conspiracy behind Manson. Mm-hmm. And it started, I think, from the CIA in the 50s called Operation Midnight Climax, where they hired these prostitutes or got them to do what they wanted, the CIA did. Mm-hmm. And they would get politicians and famous people to go to hotels with these prostitutes and they would the prostitutes would give them LSD. Mm-hmm. And they didn't know what they were taking, but they thought it was more like a truth serum back then. 
and so they would spill the beans. That's right. I do remember hearing about that. And they would record it all too. So like that whole MK Ultra thing, kind of started right there, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, it goes way further and deeper than that. So Manson was arrested many times. He, you, you were, you're t- saying his whole rap sheet, you know, uh, petty theft and stuff like that. And, and then he would get released, and then arrested again, and then he would get, get released. released, and then arrested again. But then there was this one time he did a stint in prison for seven years. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I didn't even mention that. Yeah. So the conspiracy behind that is, in that seven years, somehow the CIA got contacted with him, and he was, they were experimenting with LSD on him. For that MK Ultra kind of thing. Interesting, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I believe he got out of jail, and he did something by violating his parole. I think it was like an assault on an officer in this kind of scuffle or something. Mm-hmm. Went right back, and then his parole officer got him out. His parole officer name was named Roger Smith, oh, and right, yeah. he continuously got Manson out of trouble after the seven year stint that he did. Like no. he, he was the one that got him like out all like, all the time, oh all God. the time, and uh, yeah, so it kind of seemed like someone was working for him. Maybe Manson didn't know he was working directly for the CIA, and this is not this is not something I like telling you is true or no, that no, I believe yeah, I or anything like that. Yeah, but it's just an, an another interesting part of this. It is very interesting. Um, to like see that the thing. CIA infiltrated all the hippie communes. Like the community of all the hippies, and they didn't like the whole hippie movement. They were against the war yeah. and protesting different things like that. So they would infiltrate these hippie communions and try to find what they're doing, what illegal things they're doing, drugs or whatever. And they would send different people undercover in these hippie communities. That's so crazy. And so they really. The theory is they wanted to make the hippies look really bad. Yeah. yeah. So they had Manson and they gave him orders to get these people together, lead a group of people like a cult that were all free spirited hippies Mm -hmm. and start this whole mass murder, this whole helter skelter of a race war. Because Manson was telling everyone how a race war was coming, a race war was coming. And didn't the Watts riots just happen around that same time? I want to say, yeah. The L.A. riots? Uh, yeah, well, the put Watts riots. L.A. riots are the whole Rodney King thing. Oh, that's right. Yeah, this is 1960. Yeah, uh, August 11, 1965 to August 16, 1965. So four years prior to the murder. Yeah, so that was already a huge thing, especially in L.A. That's and crazy. I didn't know that. Um. But yeah, that that's the you know the whole conspiracy behind Manson was he was working for the CIA and not knowing that he was directly working with them, just working with someone else. And I heard they would even like give him drugs, guns sometimes. Give Manson? Yeah. What? Yeah, tell him to prostitute girls. What the fuck? Yeah. I've never heard that. And it goes way deeper than what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I don't have all the facts in front of me. They're, they're not even facts. It's just a fucking conspiracy. It's a another tale to the story Mm -hmm. and you know you look it up and read about it and make your own opinion about it all yeah exactly i mean for sure either way it's a horrible fucking thing he he got a bunch of people together that believed he was the next messiah and 
he got them to kill people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of, and he still has, there's still a fucking Manson movement right now with tons of people, you know, probably hundreds, maybe thousands. I don't know how many people, but like they follow this guy still. They want to live that life mm-hmm. of Manson still. That is so crazy. And uh, that's so wild. they all believed he was innocent. Yeah. They all keep yeah. saying, well, it's crazy how Manson got life and he didn't kill anyone. And it, because he got other people to kill, but he probably did, yeah. you know, he, he did cut some people up and stuff yeah. like that. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this whole story just, is such a trip. Yeah. Huge trip. Yeah. Just the whole like cult thing. And like, I just, yeah, I think they were like kind of vulnerable and like, you know, a spot where they needed to, you know, and then they came across Manson and, you know, well, yeah, all, they, you they, know, they, they were, a lot of them were drifters or, yeah, there you go. You yeah, know, yeah. came from broken homes, didn't want to live in society anymore. Mm-hmm. And who's to blame anyone that wants to? You know, I, I want to fucking go off grid, live in a cabin, and get the fuck out of the city. You know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But not like that. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> not like that. Join my cult. <laughs> um, but yeah, just a bunch of crazy things you hear afterwards, and people doing a bunch of research and trying to connect dots to why this all happened yeah for sure well i don't know it's crazy so, yeah. it's crazy i mean i totally sad. i believe mk ultra is a real thing mm-hmm. i know you've told me a lot about it because i didn't know anything about it and yeah it's uh, it's interesting especially with this whole like manson thing yeah just like it's very yeah i wonder how true it all is it kind of well, seems know. like the government would do that if a government found a group of people that wanted to make their own government mm-hmm separate from what they live under. Yeah. I, I feel the government would step in any time. And you For see sure. it so many fucking times. I think so too. Yeah. I mean, there's other things that go on behind those closed doors that are creepy and shit like that. But it's all, yeah, it's all these cults. Mm-hmm. And yeah. government is opposing them, them opposing the government. And even on that, um, on that tour that we took, one of the last stops to see was the Scientology's uh, oh building God, in right. LA. And they said Manson was a part of Scientology back in the day. But Scientology was too crazy for him. <laughs> so like, so what are the what the fuck are they doing there? <laughs> yeah, for sure. That is true. That is true. That's right. He did a I guess he started studying Scientology when he was incarcerated. He was in jail. Yeah. And this is not, no, you know, no offense to Scientologists or anything yeah. like that, no, but you're in a fucking cult. <laughs> I mean, you could look at any kind of group like that, any religion as a cult. And a cult is crazy. Not crazy. Yeah, the cult is crazy, and they will kill for their beliefs. So you could even say Christianity was a cult because the whole crusades, they went around fucking mass murdering everybody to join to be Christian and say Jesus is your Messiah or you die. Convert or die. Yeah. It happened everywhere with these religions and beliefs. Yeah, I can see that for sure. So I can see that. Everything. Starts off as a cult first and then turns into a major religion. Now you got Scientology commercials all over the fucking place. There is a lot of them. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I totally forgot that we, uh, drove. Is that the one that he would go to, right? He would go yeah. to that one all the time. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. Trip E. That's all I got to say about that. I just read Bruce Davis, who had mentioned Manson's right-hand man, actually worked at the Church of Scientology headquarters in London. From November 68 to April 69. 
That's pretty crazy. Anybody, I wonder if that's how he kind of got into it, too. That's the idea of a cult. And, yeah, yeah. I guess in prison he lists his religion as Scientology. But, yeah, that's the uh, Manson family murders. Pretty wild. Um, yeah, I highly suggest that tour. It was, it was really fun. Very informative. And they have a bunch of other ones. You can just go on their website, gravelinetours.com, I believe. Very interesting. Yep. Thank you for coming along with me. Yeah. I'm surprised you said yes. Well, you always drop these addresses. Might as well go to them. Exactly. Exactly. So because we're going to. that's cool. <laughs> you thought it was pretty cool. You were excited. It was, it was a cool tour. It was. It was really cool. Um, but we're going to put out a video that uh, we just got a lot of footage from our trip, from our whole tour. So we're going to make a video and hopefully this week we can get it out. Yeah. Put so it on YouTube and see what we did. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna have it on YouTube. Have it all on the social medias. So check that out when it comes out. And uh, be safe and stay aware. Peace.